Hello everyone, welcome back to Empowering First Voices. This is season two. We are so excited to be back. Thank you so much to everyone who listened to the first season and all of our episodes. We are so excited because this year we have a new cohort for Empowering First and we have a new cover as you guys may have seen. Um, This year we are including juniors and seniors in the cohort. So It'll be first, second, third, and fourth years, which is super exciting. This first episode will be centered around the Latinx experience at Emory um, as a celebration for Latinx Heritage Month. And we're going to go around and introduce everyone. Many of you may recognize my voice, but my name is Regina. I am a third year or a junior at Emory, majoring in Spanish and Portuguese. And my family is from Mexico, so I identify as Mexican-American. Hello, everyone. My name is Arturo. I'm currently a junior returning back for Empowering First Gen. I'm studying Information Systems and Operation Management along with Spanish and Portuguese. Um, And my family is from Mexico. Hey, guys. My name is Morten Arriaga. I'm a sophomore uh, going into nursing on the pre-med track. How that will go, I don't know, but... Hey, let's stay tuned. And my parents are from Guadalajara, Mexico. Hey, guys. My name's uh, Jose Cerritos. I am a sophomore as well. Um, This is my first year um, in Empowering First. Uh, I am majoring in psychology, and I'm also on the pre-dental track. And my family and I um, are from El Salvador. So, as you can see, there's a lot of um, Mexico representation, but we also have El Salvador, and um, as well as other... uh, Latin American countries in the cohort, but this is just the group that's presenting today that wants to have a conversation about our experiences at Emory. So the first question, open to whoever is willing to answer, um, is what expectations were you given, handed, or were created for you when coming to Emory? I'll go first. (laughs) Um, I think for me, Um, coming from a family that was raised in Mexico and you know in Mexico I feel like there's always the everyone that like succeeds or what their idea of success is is like someone who's a doctor a lawyer or I don't know some other like profession in that area Um, so I think when I got into Emory there was always that expectation to become a doctor or a lawyer. I actually started off being pre-law because I thought that's like, I thought that was what I wanted to do, but um, I completely ditched that idea. And now I'm just a Spanish and Portuguese major. I shouldn't say just, but I'm a Spanish and Portuguese major. Um, Don't really think I'll be going to law school. It's just not something that I'm passionate about. Um, But I think there was that, that was one of the expectations that were kind of created for me. I have a couple more, but I'll let everybody else kind of, you know, give their give their thoughts. So going along with that, mine are um, kind of similar to what Regina was talking about. Um, my family, um, and I guess my upbringing. Um, you know, people expect you to sort of know what you're um, what you're going to study when you get into college, just because, you know, different countries in Central America, Mexico, South America have a different education system. Um, and, you know, high school is different from college um, and all the um, just how the system is set up. 
Um, and so before coming to Emory, you know, um, so, you know, people would ask me um, what major I want. Um, and I would just answer, um, you know, pre-med. Uh, but coming into Emory, I kind of came with that mindset. Um, and, you know, when other students would ask me, I would just say, um, you know, maybe I'm a bio major on the pre-med track. And I ended up changing my major a lot. Um, so, you know, I went from like public health to biology and then from biology, I added um, econ and now I ended up with psychology on the pre-dental track. Uh, but going back to my um, original point, um, you know, sometimes we're expected to know right away uh, what you're going to study. Uh, but I think that my family also um, told me, you know, it's OK if you fail in something that you want to um, try or, you know, it's okay to explore um, other areas and find your passions because at the end of the day, um, your career is not about, you know, just making money. It's also enjoying it um, and succeeding in what you're interested in. My expectations coming to Emory are rooted around how I identify, um, which is first-gen, low-income, and Latino. Back home, the expectation was for me to go to college and be a professional in medicine, law, engineering, or something of that nature so I can provide support for myself and family. And coming to Emory, those expectations changed quickly because I entered this new environment. I was founding more of myself. Um, and as I said, expectations were changing. So more of the stories that you don't have life figured out after graduating high school. <laughs> and being at Emory has allowed me to shift so many of those expectations. And I've been able to explore every academic discipline at Emory, including pre-nursing and pre-business. And now that I've set my major on information system, systems and operations management, along with Spanish and Portuguese, I still don't know what I want to do post-undergrad. undergrad. Um, but I do know that being in the business school, at least I will be stable after graduation. And it allows me to focus more on different interests that I have and that I can explore. And it allows me to reflect back on the fact that being first-gen Latino and low income that I'm not following the expectations that I had for myself, but more that I was following family expectations and expectations that I guess social institutions have on me. I think it's also important to recognize that in a lot of Latin American countries, family is a big thing. I think you guys can think I've, we've all mentioned family and I'm sure Martin will probably mention his family too, but um, Family is a big thing for us, I think. And so when we talk about what we want to do and, and our majors and all these career paths, you know, for us, it's like we're not just do as first generation students. We're, I feel like we're not just doing as first generation, my bad, as first generation and Latinx, you know, I feel like we're not just doing it for ourselves. A lot of the time we're doing it for our families as well because they've invested, you know, time and money and made many sacrifices to be here. Um, so I, I just want to point that out, but, you know, just, I want everyone to kind of keep that in mind. And yeah, you're right, Regina. I, like Arturo, um, my family is a big part of what I'm doing and why I want to do um, nursing and going onto the pre-med track, uh, mainly, I entered Emory with not a huge expectation of um, needing to go big and make a bunch of money, but rather just anything that I can do to support my family um, financially and with whatever I can do in the future for them. I don't look too much on what I need for myself. And so when I did come to Emory, I was thinking I'd be a bio major and I had that like 
uh, straight in my head that I'm going to go this one path and this is exactly what I'm going to do and I'm going to make money when I get out and then all of this is for my family. But the more I thought about it, the more I saw those classes, the more experience I got, the more I talked to professors here at Emory, I really got to notice that biology and chemistry aren't really my thing. And it's finally come to realize that I am now in a position where I can choose for myself and decide to do something that I do want to do, something that I am inspired to follow. And that is the following in medicine, doing nursing or going to medical school. Either way, I will be being able to help out smaller communities or just making an impact on the lives of others just by going to school, learning something in a textbook and be able to like bring that back into a clinic or just in a small place where it can, again, make an impact on someone's life. So then this goes on to develop into a whole other thing that's far from family, but it's still connected to me, something that I am, again, inspired to do. I love thinking that medicine can do so much and that it can make a huge, <laughs> again, impact on someone's life. So for me to be able to do that, for me to love that, and then be able to, again, help out my family along the way, yeah, it's truly something that I am very fortunate to be able to do at Emory. And although those expectations, again, were uh, never really set for me since the start, it's more of wanting to make a change, not just for my family and not just for myself, but for everyone else. That was awesome, Martin. I totally agree. Um, I think a lot of the times um, we, there's like this big connection between our community as well. Um, although it might not always seem like it, but there's always that wanting to give back to the community. I think that's one of the reasons, like, um, why I, like, want to go to grad school after fin I finish undergrad. Um, because, like you said, there's just so much you're learning and talking to people, and you want to be able to share that. So I think um, I, I could completely relate to what you were saying. I don't know if anybody else has any thoughts on this specific question, but um, if not, we can we can move on. But to the next question, which I think you know is is very important, not just for us as um, for us that identify as Latinx, but I think for any racial minority group, ethnic minority group. Um, but the question is. Do you feel welcomed or recognized at Emory? Um, it's a tough question, I think, but I think needs to be addressed a lot of the time. Being welcomed and recognized, I realize that my time at Emory is different for both international Latinx students and domestic Latinx students because majority of international students have a more stable background and know what to expect when coming to college, whereas majority of the domestic Latinx students are first-gen and or low-income and college is something new and confusing for us. Last semester, the school announced 20% of the incoming class were Latinx, but how many of those students were international and how many were domestic? And from the domestic pool, how many were first-gen and or low-income? I don't think the university tries as much as they can do to provide us with resources and initiatives 
for domestic Latinx students, and we tend to struggle at this PWI. And I've met some great international students, but that doesn't shadow the fact that the voices of domestic first-gen Latinos or other Latinx students are not being heard. I've found, I felt more recognized within the communities that I personally identify with, um, which, has, which have been the Empowering First-Gen Program, LSO, and Centro Latinx. And I feel that until there's a conversation or a space to hold a conversation, that there is a difference between international Latinx students and domestic Latinx students, then that entire experience of being welcome and recognized will continue to be different until that conversation starts. I think, yeah, I, I hadn't thought about it, but you make a great point, Arturo, that there's a big difference between us who identify as Latinx um, in the U.S. versus the international Latinx students. Um, I think there's always that constant, um, maybe struggle is the word, but maybe it's not, uh, constant struggle for first generation Americans in the Latinx community. So like, for example, like me, I was the first one in my family born in the U.S., so I'm a first generation American and I'm also a first generation college student. Um, I still identify as Mexican-American, and I identify as Latina, and I identify as Hispanic because those are things that, you know, I've I've grown up with, surrounded by all of that. Um, and I think a lot of the time people in in Latin America, I don't want to, I don't want to generalize, but something that I've noticed is that, you know, I'm technically not I'm technically not Mexican even though I identify as Mexican and people in Mexico would say oh oh you're not Mexican like you're you're American like you're you're not but like here I feel so Mexican I feel like I'm brown and my hair is black well not black it's dark brown but you know like I feel Mexican I speak Spanish I eat Mexican food like you know and so I very much identify as Mexican but somebody in Latin America might not necessarily, you know, see me as Mexican. So I think there's there's always, like, that um, divide between, like, how you identify and, like, how other people in your community identify you. Um, and so, yeah, I would definitely say, you know, there's a big difference between us and the inter international students, but totally agree with what you said about how, um, you know, I've found, I felt welcome, I've felt welcome um, within the Latinx communities um, that also identify as first gen and low income um, because that's how I identify as well. Um, I have met some really nice international Latinx students and I'm friends with them as well, but it's definitely a different experience from the one that I've been living, so. I would say yes and no to the to the question. Um, going along those lines, um, I definitely um, haven't interacted much with you know other international Latinx students, um, but I think that's something that's been brought up uh, within my friend group. You know, sometimes um, we we think about you know just hanging out with other Latino students, um, or just you know if you see another group walking, doesn't matter if they're international or domestic, just saying hi. And we've had those small interactions, but I think that's something that the university you know could help us out with. Uh, you know, um, 
bringing the community together. Uh, but from my personal experience, I think um, Emory has been uh, very welcoming uh, to Latinx students. Um, but I also think whenever you know um, this question was brought up, the first thing that came to my mind was just community. Um, whenever I came to Emory, I really wanted to find that Latinx community, whether it was, you know, like the LSO organization or um, other clubs, like, for example, I'm in VMIS. Um, whenever I went through the class um, for medical interpreting in Spanish, I found it, um, you know, amazing that I could talk to other students who knew uh, Spanish and English, and we could relate to not only the topics that we were learning in the class, you know, about the medical setting and interpreting, but we could also, you know, talk about childhood stories. Um, like I remember when I was little, um, I wasn't born in the U.S., but I immigrated here. But whenever I, you know, learned enough English, I would go with my mom to the doctors and I would basically translate for her if there were no interpreters available. Um, and so whenever I was going through the course, I remember I would talk to some friends and, you know, even within other friends outside of VMIS, um, we just laugh at how sometimes we would mess up some words just translating from um, English to Spanish. Um, but that just shows, um, you know, the kind of community that you can find, um, whether it's a club, um, but also communities like Empowering First. You know, um, we learn about other students and their um, powerful stories. Uh, so I think, um, like I said at the beginning, the university could definitely um, do better with uh, bridging that sort of gap in between um, domestic and international Latino students. Um, but I also think um, there's an initiative aspect to, you know, finding the community that you want to join. Um, and I mean, from my experience, I think it's mostly through clubs. And for example, there's also QuestBridge. Uh, whenever I join Emory through QuestBridge, um, I think probably about like 80% of my friends um, we're from Presbridge, um, are Latino. And so I think that's something unique about Emory that I really appreciate because the other schools I had considered, um, you know, did not have as much of a community or the Latino student body wasn't as united um, as they are here. Another question, we can do, we can do two more questions just so that we don't make this too long. But um, I think something that's a great question if we have people listening that are in high school um, what are challenges that ran through your head when applying to colleges? Or what are some thoughts that you kind of, you know, were constant in your head while applying to college as a Latinx student, as first gen, and if you identify as low income as well, that too. Um, but what are your thoughts? When it came to the college application, I had no idea what I was doing. I knew very little about college or what that was going to be. I thought it was just another step of education that everyone went through. But then when talking yeah, to my family and then experiences I've had, um, it's not something that was very uh, predominant. It was something that was just like, oh, if you have money, if you're smart, then you're going to go and you know your parents are going to pay for it. And it's, it was just a whole stigma that I didn't have the luxury of having. And that was really something that brought me down. The idea that I didn't have the resources around me to help me uh, bridge those connections, talk to people, talk to counselors. And I was scared to even reach out, to even ask, hey, what colleges do you think I should go to? Or what do you think I should do? Because by high school, it was already set. Like you were supposed to know uh, what you wanted to be when you grow up. 
and what your career was going to look like in the future if you wanted to be uh, hands-on working physically or you want to be in an office doing something it was very limited and my mom she honestly uh, she wanted me to become a mechanic and that was her biggest thing she wanted me to become a mechanic because that was a for sure paying job it was something that was going to be needed all around the world wherever you were you've always needed a mechanic but then deciding to go to college and then deciding okay maybe I should make this next step to become something I don't want to say bigger because being a mechanic is hard <laughs> uh, getting all those steps and memorizing all those parts really it it is a lot and it does take skill um, but going to college to then get a degree in biology and knowing this other type of information is different as well and so for me applying to college was not going to a school to learn to become a mechanic but it did have those ideals of becoming a doctor or becoming a lawyer like we said before so once I did start applying once I did start writing my personal essays I was really just trying to decide like what can I say to make myself look as if I was smart or as if I was hardworking but in reality, when I look back at it now, I didn't have to say or think or lie about any of that. All I had to say was what I was truly doing, taking care of my family, working so much, doing what I did in high school. It was enough to get me here at Emory, and it should be truly enough to get you really anywhere. Not, school is not the only thing that is important. It is also what you do with your daily life. So for answering this question, those challenges I really brought up were just that I was not good enough, that I was, didn't have enough experience as everyone else, that I was really alone and lost in applying to college. But at some point, I decided just to sit down and, hey, Let's just write this essay. Let's see where this takes me. And from there, I started applying, and I started to get my uh, essays out, and I started answering so many questions, and I felt so empowered to think that I am doing this. I am taking this step. Even if I was rejected by so many other schools, I still put in the work in to make that progress, to get that letter. And to me, that was very important, other than, again, being brought down by not wanting to do it because I was scared. Um, so my my experience was a little bit a little bit different. Um, I was very fortunate enough to attend private school, um, and like Martin, I I kind of had that idea that I was like, oh yeah, like you know, I go to high school, I graduate high school, and then I go to college. But never in my head did I think about how am I going to pay for college. Um, that was never like a, like a thought in my head because of where I was at. I was just like, oh yeah, I'm going. Like everybody goes to college, so I'll be there. Um, and I remember it being like the financial aspect of it being, um, a constant challenge for my mom, um, more than me, because like I said, I, I was in that space and she wasn't. And so for me, I was like, oh yeah, like I'll be in college, like, you know, whatever. And my mom, like, 
the entirety of my senior year, and, and then she's told me this um, in the recent years, but the entirety of my senior year, she was just worried about how we were going to pay for it. And at school, um, I had a great, um, I had some great college counselors. I hope they're listening. Um, they, they keep supporting me in everything I do. And so I had great college counselors. I had one specifically who she focused on me. Um, and so I remember my, my biggest, my biggest challenges or my, my biggest like fears during the, during the process was how am I going to keep my mom in the loop, um, with everything? Because up to that point, you know, I had been, or she had done everything for me. Like when I got into that school, she was the one that submitted my application. She was the one um, taking me to like testing and taking me to my interviews and she was doing everything for me. Um, and so with the college process, like I was doing everything myself. I was filling out my FAFSA. I was writing my essays, um, but I had help. I had um, my counselor behind me the entire time telling me, yes, this looks good. Oh, rewrite this. Um, I remember I we actually started like meeting with our counselors the spring semester of our junior year. So she asked me for like an autobiography about myself and she asked something for my mom. And I remember thinking, oh God, like my mom is great. Love my mom. Shout out to my mom. Um, and she speaks English, but when it comes to the writing portion, she she tends to hold back a lot. Cause she's like, oh, I'm not good at this. Oh, da, 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 da. She's like, I express myself better in Spanish which I get comes with, um, you know, being being a native Spanish speaker and then learning English. So she'd be like, oh, I can't write anything for you. Like, you have to write it for me. And so what I ended up doing was she would tell me what, what she wanted to, to say to my college counselor, and I would translate for her, um, which is something that I've done my whole life. I, I translate for my mom, still translate for my mom. Um, and so my biggest worry was like, keeping her in, and I tried so hard and I think I succeeded in keeping her in the loop but that was my biggest my biggest fear um or challenge or, or thought in the back of my head during that process but I just like to reiterate that I was so lucky um for you know I was so lucky to have those people in my life and um the resources that I had and, you know, I, I wish I could give that to everybody that I know that's also first gen, that also identifies as Latinx or some other minority, because, you know, it was such a, a blessing to have. Um, that's not to say that it wasn't hard. Like, I remember writing my essays and I was just like, oh, my God, like, I'm a terrible writer. They're not going to accept me anywhere. I ended up, you know, getting into some really good schools. And, you know, now I'm here. Um, but. I remember that being my biggest thing, the language barrier too. Um, I tend to think that I express myself better in Spanish, even though sometimes I get a little stuck. But um, yeah, that was my biggest thing. But seriously, I think, um, I hope my counselors are listening because you guys listened last semester. But thank you all so much because you guys, you guys helped me out a bunch. So yeah, my experience was a bit similar to Regina's. Um, you know, at first I was very um, confused and just lost about the whole application process. 
Um, I remember um, I would talk to my mom because my mom is the one that speaks um, a little bit of English. Uh, and so she was the one that, you know, helped me navigate high school um, and, you know, gave me all the ideas about colleges. Um, and so I would just talk to her. And but she always made it clear that, you know, um, even if college is not possible, there's other routes, you know, um, community college. Um, and the last resort would be, you know, working a construction job. Not not that they're bad, um, but, you know, um, there's a sacrifice in moving to the United States. Um, and so and I understood that, you know, I um, wanted to pay off and give back to them for um, bringing me here and, you know, making the sacrifice of leaving everything uh, we had um, in El Salvador to come here. Um, and so with that in mind, um, you know, going into high school, um, I think right around my sophomore year, I found um, about a, I found out about a program, a governor's school. Um, and so I ended up applying. Uh, my English was not 100% um, good. You know, it was probably at like a 70% because I came here when I was in, um, I came here into fifth grade. Um, and so it had only been like um, five or six years. Um, but, you know, I took on the challenge and I completed the application. I uh, I got accepted. And so that was really exciting. Um, you know, that was one of the, the points um, throughout my high school career where, you know, I was actually motivated to continue um, pursuing education. Um, but, you know, the years passed. Um, I started the program uh, in 10th grade um, and then it ends um, right when you graduate high school. Um, and I think that was a great opportunity, not only because I was able to take, you know, AP and dual enrollment classes, but I also had mentorship um, specific to college. So I remember I had a, a counselor there um, and he would always um, meet with me, you know, once a month just to check in um, by my junior year to make sure that we had like colleges um, in the back of our mind. They did um, like every Wednesday, some college um, would come and visit and, you know, talk to us. The admissions officers would give us tips, um, let us ask questions. Um, but I also am a regular high school. Um, you know, I was lucky enough um, for actually, I think it was our senior year. They hired um, just a counselor specific specifically for applying to college. And so uh, we had it was one counselor, but, you know, my high school wasn't that big. So it was about 250 um, seniors. Um, and, you know, we had one counselor. Um, but her mentorship was amazing. Uh, she helped me figure out um, everything with the deadlines. She actually told me about Cresbridge, which is how I ended up at Emory. Um, so I'm really grateful for, you know, having that mentorship um, despite the initial struggle and, you know, being lost, being confused, um, having those talks with my mom, you know, whether or not I'm going to make it to college. Uh, but, you know, going back to the question, I think one of the major challenges um, aside from that, and I think this is not just specific to my experience, but also to the rest of, you know, first-gen low-income students, um, financial aid. That was one of the biggest factors in, you know, whether or not I was going to college, um, which college I was going to, just because, you know, even though some, some of our parents work like two or more jobs, uh, you know, sometimes uh, it's not enough because we have to like, you know, help our families out um, in our countries um, and also, you know, pay the bills here. Um, and so it honestly seemed like going to college was sort of a luxury um, and not, a, not an opportunity. Um, and so financial aid um, and just being able to afford college is one of those talks um, that I would, you know, I would tell my mom, you know, I'm worried. Um, and we would bring it up to my dad and my dad would sometimes, you know, just not not ignore us, but he would just listen to us. Um, but I could tell that, you know, he in, in the back of his head, um, he would be thinking about how they could help me out. 
Um, but thankfully, because of that mentorship that I had um, just for college, um, the application process, um, I was able to figure out and, you know, learn about different financial aid packages. Um, and everyone in my community was very supportive. And, you know, if they heard about a scholarship um, for pre-med students or anyone interested in studying um, healthcare in the future, you know, they told me about it. They gave me the deadline. I remember um, they even gave us a packet with like a list of like 20 local scholarships that we could apply to. And so those were, you know, really helpful um, in just making all of this possible. But yeah, there's also, you know, smaller things um, that you have to figure out um, sort of on your own. You know, it, it's specific to um, every student, um, you know, maybe the issue of immigration and like um, whether you're eligible for this scholarship. Um, you know, there's the fee waivers, um, paying for the SAT. Once you accept um, like an admission software, uh, you have to pay the security deposit, which sometimes, you know, can be from like 500 to like $800. And, you know, maybe you can't afford it. Um, so there's always those small challenges as well that, you know, they accumulate and they, uh, they end up making the experience stressful. Um, but, you know, there's, there's things we can do. Um, you know, maybe there's a club. Um, for example, here at Emory, there's Matriculate. Um, so um, joining Matriculate and, you know, giving back to the community and mentoring um, those, you know, high school students like yourself um, that are currently struggling. Uh, it's very meaningful to, you know, advancing. Um, it's very meaningful to helping other students like us um, get to college and, you know, pursue their own dreams. Um, so if I could tell anything to my pre-Emory self, I think it would be the fact that imposter syndrome doesn't end once you're in college. I think for me, um, growing up in, like in the rural South and coming from a small school, uh, college was, was everything. And the fact, like applying the college apps, everything, like to me, that meant that once I sent those in, once I got into an institution, that I was okay, that I would be set. In high school, imposter syndrome, I think, mainly fell from this personal guilt that I felt that if I wasn't succeeding in my education, that all my parents' sacrifices and my family's sacrifices would have gone to waste um, if I weren't go if I wasn't going to college. And looking back at it, pursuing education, I think, is more of a privilege, and I think recognizing that recognizing privileges as a first-gen as a first-gen American and a first-gen college student allows you to reflect back in so much and going back to the imposter syndrome when I have those episodes of where I like I feel that I'm not worthy at Emory I just look back at being first-gen Latino low-income the stats are not meant for me to be here but I hear I, somehow that I made it here I can do it here at Emory and do it and Knowing that, I think has pushed me, has pushed me, um, and even though like I still get those episodes of imposter syndrome, I let that I don't try to invalidate invalidate those feelings, but more just reflect of how I feel. And so I think that's something that I would tell my Emory, my pre Emory self is that they're gonna be hard times and go into it with a positive mindset, knowing that everything's gonna be okay at the end of at the end of it, um, and yeah. Okay, well, if nobody has anything else to add, any any last remarks, thoughts, questions you want to pose to the public, Doug? Um, I just want to give a shout out to Taina. She's the assistant director 
um, one of the assistant directors for the Office of Race, um, which stands for um, Racial and Cultural Engagement. Um, she's a person who has done so much for the Latinx community and for Central Latinx, so I just want to give her a shout out, especially since... Um, I just want to give a shout out to Tayina. She's the assistant director, um, one of the assistant directors for the Office of Race, um, which stands for um, Racial and Cultural Engagement. Um, she's a person who has done so much for the Latinx community and for Central Latinx, so I just want to give her a shout out, especially since we're doing this in like in commemorance for Latinx Heritage Month. So thank you, Tayina. Also, shout out to Dr. Theshida, who is our advisor, awesome advisor, who put together this amazing group um, for looking out, you know, thank you for looking out for the first generation students. Um, I think we all really appreciate it. And um, anybody else? Shout outs? Um, also, shout out to Dr. Theshida. Um, you know, I think I'm always inspired um, listening to everyone else's stories, um, not just in Empowering First, but other uh, first and students. Um, and I think it's really important to, you know, make um, everyone's voices heard. Uh, and I just, you know, Dr. Teixeira is an amazing person. So thank you for uh, doing all this for us. Take Port 110 with Dr. Teixeira. <laughs> Take any Portuguese class with Dr. Teixeira. Um, but... Seriously, thank you so much to everyone who has listened to us before. If you're new, thank you so much for listening now. Um, thank you so much to our Empowering First group for helping us with creating covers and coming up with themes and everything else in between. Honestly, none of this would be possible without you guys. Um, thank you so much again for listening and happy Latinx or happy end of Latinx Hispanic or Latinx. Heritage Month. It's a mixture of Latinx, Hispanic Heritage Month, honestly. I should just say that. But thank you so much, and we'll see you guys on the next episode.